The story told about a man who wanted to take a grand vacation. And he wanted to go to the Holy Land. So he had his wife go with him and he invited his mother-in-law to come along with. And off they went to the Holy Land for a fabulous two-week vacation there. Saw the places where Jesus walked and just had a marvelous time. Well, tragedy struck and his mother-in-law passed away while they were over there. And so he had to figure out how they were going to do the burial. And so he was talking to a Jewish undertaker and he said, uh, what, are, what are my options here? And he said, well, we can do the burial, a beautiful service and burial for about $150 right here in the Holy Land. It'd be wonderful. And he says, uh, well, that'd be good. What are my other options? He says, well, the well, other thing we can do is we can charge you $1,500 and ship the body back to America and you can do your funeral service back there. And he said, okay, well, I think we're going to ship the body back. And he said, are, are you really sure? I mean, this would be a, a, a great funeral service right here in the Holy Land. Well, what's, what's the deal? And he said, well, you see, about 2,000 years ago, you buried a guy, and he came back to life, and I just can't take that chance. <laughs> and uh, the good news is I don't feel about that that way with about my mother-in-law here this morning. Um, <laughs> I love her, and she's brought a lot of good to my life. And uh, I've eaten a lot of her good cooking this week as well. So um, dare I say nothing bad against her. Um, But in any case, um, welcome to Three Lakes Church. You mother-in-laws, we love you. We love you. Um, So I want to look at the Easter story this morning again. And in particular, I want to deal with the subject of doubt. That is, uh, Christians and, and even those that don't believe can often carry doubts over the reality of the resurrection. It's something that we sometimes struggle with. And I want to kind of face that head on today and take a look at it. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Um, if, you have a Bi- if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. You can open that up and look at that. Um, it's page 749 if you're using a pew Bible. You all know the story about the, uh, Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus and he shows up with these two disciples who are uh, just talking to him and didn't really know who he was. But he had already risen from the dead and they've been talking for a while. And at some point later in the day when they broke bread, they realized this is really Jesus. And, and, and they're shocked and they're full of awe and wonder. And then they, after that's over, they go and tell the other disciples what they had seen that they'd actually experienced Jesus in the flesh. And we're picking up the story right after those two talk to the other disciples. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 36. It says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, 
and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When He had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, He lifted up His hands and blessed them. And while He was blessing them, He left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's pray before we say anything else. Jesus, uh, today we just want to understand your word. We know it's powerful. We know that it can do its work in our lives to shore up our doubts, to shore up the places where we're, we don't have the confidence that you want us to have in the resurrection. And so I pray that your word would do its work and that I'd be faithful to preach it as I should. We give this time to you with our hearts open to what you want to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus asked the disciples, why do doubts rise in your minds? He, He just shows up, you know, suddenly appearing in their midst from behind closed doors. There he is. And he says, why do doubts rise in your minds? Now, in getting ready for this message, I read some of the skeptics. I I tried to look up people that have issues with the resurrection, some that hold advanced degrees, and I wanted to see what are people's problems with the resurrection? Why do people have a hard time believing that a dead person came back to life? Namely, Jesus came back to life. And... There are a lot of reasons people have skepticism over this whole thing. You know, for one, and I remember my wife telling me about this one, she worked as a massage therapist in uh, Watoma at a chiropractic office, and she was uh, talking to a man who came in for therapy, and it was Easter time, and he said, I just saw a uh, show on the History Channel, and they said they found a tomb, and, and and the name on the tomb said Jesus, and there was a body in there. So, obviously, we know what happened to Jesus. We found his tomb, and there's the body. And I can't believe this. So, discounting the fact that Jesus was a common name at that time, this guy, for him, this this sealed the deal. This was it. They found the body, and he's done with it. There's also skepticism over the people that reported it. I read one person that said, I can't possibly believe the testimony of superstitious, first century fishermen. You expect me to believe that. These aren't the scientists. These aren't the guys with the doctoral degrees. These are just common average Joes who were scared of ghosts and and probably told ghost, ghost stories while they were out fishing and they see something that looks like Jesus and suddenly we have this story about how he's back to life. I can't possibly believe their testimony. It's not valid. In any case, these were his disciples. Which leads to another reason people doubt. Well, if Jesus really came back to life, why wouldn't he show himself to everybody? Why only a select few and those that were at the, at the mountain when, when, he, when he went back to be with the Father? Why only those people? He didn't show himself to Pilate. He didn't appear to the chief priests and say, how do you like me now, you know? He, he didn't do that. There was no sticking it to him, you know? It just, he, he just, he just showed himself to people that already loved him. That they, they could tell other people about it. But, but he, didn't, he didn't go out of his way to say, here I am. And, and so people write, I, 
Jesus hasn't shown himself to me. So why should I believe? You're expecting to believe a dead person comes back to life, which is another reason people are skeptical. I've never seen a dead person come back to life. Apparently it happened a couple times in the New Testament where Jesus raised Lazarus and a little girl, but I've never seen it happen. People three days dead don't come back to life. It just doesn't happen. And so there's a skepticism and it leads some people to say, I I, want to have faith, but a bodily resurrection? No. Maybe a spiritual resurrection. Maybe they had a vision, right? And, and they saw Jesus' spirit. People are willing to go that far, but, but they're not willing to go so far as to say he was there in the flesh. New body and all. And I want to address that for a minute. As kindly and respectfully as I can. Because... I read the scriptures and Jesus' question to his disciples that day when he showed up was, why do doubts rise in your minds? Where do do these doubts come from? And I think if you look underneath all the excuses and the reasons and the skepticism and the doubters, underneath it all, this is what you find. I want God to conform to my expectations. That's what it comes down to. And if you're taking notes in the blanks in your, in, your, uh, in your bulletin, that's the first blank. I want God. The problem is, I want God to do it the way I think it should be done. If I were God, I would have shown up and showed everybody who I am for my glory. Here I am, I'm alive, now you can see me, and you can all write about it. I'd show up to the Roman historians, the Jewish historians, I'd show Pilate, I'd show the soldiers, I'd show the chief priests. They'd all see who I am, and that would be proof. And I probably wouldn't have shown up in the first century where we don't have video recordings. If I was God, I would have shown up in the 21st century where we could get a video camera out and say, see see the marks right here, you know? Of course, not keeping in mind the fact that you couldn't crucify him today because we don't do that today. But in any case, I would have done it so there could be scientific, verifiable proof. Aren't we scientific people? You see? And, And that is saying, God, you need to play by my rules. I demand that you play by my rules if I'm going to believe you. And I respectfully submit that that is arrogant. When I worked in Chicago, I was going to Moody Bible Institute, uh, working on my bachelor's degree. I had a part-time job at a law firm. I was, I was doing paralegal work. And I loved it. Oh, I, I loved it. It was so, so action-packed downtown there. And uh, often what I would do, uh, around 4 o'clock, I had to make sure package all the different legal documents were delivered to whatever law office needed them downtown, whatever judge needed it. So often I was, I was walking into the judge's uh, chambers, maybe not necessarily in his chambers where he sits, but the outside the chambers where the secretary would do her work. And I would deliver documents. And so I remember I was at the Daily Center one day, downtown Chicago, delivering documents. And I walked up and I, I walked uh, past, the, there was, there's kind of an outer clerk that lets you into the back area of the building. And then you have the, 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 the judge's secretary and then the judge's chambers are right next to that. And so I walked in where the judge's secretary would sit. It was about 4.30, so that's about closing time for the Daily Center downtown there. And the secretary was not there. 
And so I did what I always did when the secretary's not there. I left it on her desk, and she would take it from there and give it to the judge. You don't walk into the judge's chambers and approach him. You just don't do that. You give it to the secretary. So I did. And, and uh, she wasn't there, so I left it on her desk. And I was walking down the hallway, this long hallway to get out of that area of the deli center, and I hear this voice behind me. It's an angry voice. Young man, stop where you are. And, and I'm kind of like, you know, <laughs> I turn around. It's the judge. The judge is in the hallway and he's mad at me. He's like, come back here right now. And so I turned around. Please don't throw me in jail, right? Um, and uh, I walk back and what did I do? And he says, you don't just go leaving things around for other people and walking away. You don't just put things on people's desks and then walk out of the room. And uh, I said, I'm so sorry. Um, and so he hands me the package that I was delivering. His name is on the package, okay? The judge's name that I'm speaking to is on this package. He says, I am not accepting this. What am I going to do? I mean, how am I going to get you to accept it? He didn't tell me that. He just told me to go home, you know? And so I did. And I, with my tail between my legs, I, I went back to the law office and I walked in and I said, I got chewed out by the judge, you know? And, and they said, well, who was it? And I said the judge's name. And they said, oh, well... This judge has a different set of, of rules for how you deliver things. Well, that's fine now that I know that. But what was I supposed to do? And he said, well, you have to talk to the secretary and they have to sign in the package. She has to literally sign it in, you give it to her, and then it's done. That would have been nice to know before I got chewed out. But I, I say all that to say, I'm not going to go back to the judge and write him a nasty letter and say, why are you the only judge in the Daily Center that does it this way? You know, I, I can't do that. I abide by his rules because he has the office, he's the judge, and I submit to the way he wants to do things. And if he wants to yell at me, he can yell at me. i got to do it his way. That was clear. And how much more when we approach God and we say, God, you should have done it this way. You should have shown yourself to me. I want a vision or I want a dream that it's real. I, I want better evidence than what you've given me in the Bible. I can't trust those fishermen. You're, you're talking to the judge here. You're talking to the creator. And, and you're saying, you're not doing it my way. He doesn't care. He's God. He's God. And he makes the rules. What are his rules then? Now that our tails are tucked between our legs and we're back going, okay, well, what are the rules? Um, let me give you a couple verses that show you the rules. John twenty twenty nine. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He's talking to Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? Um, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but he says, Thomas, here's, you, you can see the scars in my hands and in my feet. This is really me. And then he says, you, and then, and then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas believes, right? And then Jesus says to him, you've, because you've seen me, you believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus is pleased by faith, not by the sight of knowing that it's real. It's better to have the faith. And that leads us to Hebrews. Next verse you could put up there. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It doesn't please God to have Jesus show up here on Sunday morning and say, see, it's real. It doesn't please Him to do that. He wants you to have faith. And if you see it, you don't have to have faith. You don't have to have faith if you see it. 
faith pleases God. Faith that says, I can't prove that Jesus exists. I can't show you the videotape. I can't scientifically make you believe. But I believe. And I know it's true. The solution then is that God demands that we have faith. And He makes the rules. He's the judge. So if, if, if you want to do your thing and shake your fist at Him and say, you should have done it my way, okay, but that doesn't work in this life and it doesn't work with God either. It just doesn't work. His position is so much higher than yours. He makes the rules. And so we must have faith. Now, um, I realize... I'm talking about the Easter story, and, and, and the passage I read has Jesus showing up with his disciples and saying, you know, take a look. Take a look. All right? I mean, that's what Jesus does. And maybe we had to look at it like this. Jesus, and, 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 and you know, if I've said a lot of things this morning, they're like, whoa, you know, um, this is maybe the craziest one. It, it seems like Jesus has temporarily broken his own rules. Okay? Not sinned. Because he makes the rules. <laughs> and he said what's righteous and what's not righteous. But, but he suspends for a brief time his own rules about the faith thing. And he shows indisputable proof that he was the one that was crucified because he had the scars. And he showed them that he was truly alive. He ate the fish in the story to show them. Ghosts, ghosts don't eat fish. Ghosts don't eat. And so he ate Okay? So, so for a brief amount of time, Jesus suspends his own rules and, and the people that first saw him, saw him by sight. They didn't require the faith. He was there. But for us, we're living under God's standards. And the standard is, you believe that which you have not seen. And that's the only way, Hebrews says, to please God. There's no other way to do it. This is what pleases God. Now, uh, what I want to do for the rest of the morning is, uh, I was really struggling over this uh, in, in the brief time we have left. I was struggling over, do I, are these things that Jesus did, are they evidence for us? Or are they invitations for us to believe? All right? The things that Jesus said in this passage, I want to point out briefly. And, and I think that they're both evidence that it's real. But they're also invitations for us to take it on faith. I, th I think it's both. So, what are the evidences that Jesus gives his disciples that this is the real deal? What are we invited to believe by Christ? Number one, we're invited to believe the eyewitness testimony of the disciples. We're invited to believe the eyewitness testimony of the disciples. Look at 39 again with me. Jesus says, look at my hands and feet. It's I myself. Jesus loves saying that, by the way. It's me. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, it's almost too good to be true, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then uh, if you jump down to verse 48, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of me physically rising from the dead. We are invited to believe the eyewitness testimony 
of the disciples. Um, it's no mistake that the disciples wanted to go out of the way. When they wrote about Jesus' resurrection, they tried to go out of the way to emphasize the fact that he had a real body. And I think it's significant because if you're a first century Jew, okay, if you lived back then, you believed in the resurrection, unless you were a Sadducee, they didn't believe, but, but if you were a, a normal Orthodox Jew, you believed in a resurrection. Remember when Lazarus died and Jesus is talking uh, to Martha? And Martha is so, so incredibly sad about her brother's passing. And, and, and it's like they're talking about it. And Jesus says, he'll rise again. And Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the dead. And she's thinking there's this distant time, the end of the age, where, where, where people get a new body. And Jesus, he doesn't say, no, he won't get a new body. He doesn't say that. But instead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Okay, it, it's not about the resurrection that's going to happen in the future where you get a new body. It's about me. I am the resurrection. It's not that Jesus was resurrected. It's that he is the resurrection. And if I get a new body, everybody gets a new body that believes in me. But the shocking thing is for the disciples, it didn't happen at the end of the age. It didn't happen when history completes itself. It happens now for one person, Jesus Christ. He gets a body first. We get to wait a bit. When we die, we wait a bit too. Our spirit goes to be with Christ, but we wait. And we all get a body together, the scriptures say. But one person gets it early. Jesus Christ. And that's why you have passages like 1 John that we'll show you up here um, next on the slides. You have passages like 1 John where John's writing, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Okay, he's like, I just want you to hear it, that, that, that we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. We used our physical senses to see that there was a physical body in front of us. They emphasized that fact. One time, uh, one time I was... Uh, traveling home with uh, Christy, and I think I think Derek was just a baby, and we were driving home, and I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. I pulled into the driveway, and I th- it was it was at night, and I thought I saw a person standing in my window. Okay, and I was like I was kind of shocked, and I was like, "Did you see that?" She didn't see it, but I thought I saw it. You know, what's someone standing in my window for? You know, and and so uh, Christy didn't get out of the car. I don't blame her. You know, but um, I went in alone. And I remember walking in the door, I, I, if there's somebody in here, I need like a club or something, right, you know? <laughs> I remember I found something in the doorway, I think it was like an umbrella or something, and I got my umbrella, you know, i do some damage with this thing. And uh, if, if he's rainy, then I've got him, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. And so I got my umbrella, and uh, I'm looking through the house, flipping on the lights, you know, looking all around, I don't see anything. So I come out and tell Christy it's all clear. But, you know, even after you think you see something, there's a little bit of, a little bit of nerves, you know, after that. You know, you're like, oh, I'm kind of silly. But still, still, it felt kind of real, you know. And then I remember we went to bed that night, and I heard this clicking sound. It was, it was this clicking, like, click, 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 click. And then it stopped, and I'm kind of like, this is, this is no good, you know. This is, this is not good. I'm a grown man, right, and this is scaring me. And, uh, and then I heard the clicking again, click, 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 click. And then uh, I laid there for a few minutes. And then it was like, click, 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 boom, you know? And then it's like, well, now i got to get up, you know, because I don't know what's going on in my house. So 
I got up and, and, and we had a, a baby gate and we'd set it upright and so the gate was clicking down, you know, click, 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 boom, you know, and then that was that. Um, now, I'm not convinced Satan was doing anything that night. I'm really not. I mean, I believe he's active and he's powerful and he does things. But I believe that was my senses playing tricks on me, right? Now, if Christy thought she saw a person in the window, well, then I might be even more scared. Or, or, or if, you, if you were coming over to my house to play some games that night and you were in the back seat and you thought you saw the guy too, well, then I'd be terrified. And hopefully you come in with me and try to fight him, right? Um, and I wouldn't be alone. But uh, one person, maybe their senses are fooled, right? We see things, you know, and it just kind of plays on our fears. But the disciples saw him. You know, John saw him. Peter says the same thing. You know, we saw him. We're witnesses to this. So you've got all of these disciples that say, we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. This is no playing tricks. This is eyewitness testimony. And I don't care what you think about their credentials as fishermen. They saw him. And they wrote about it. And I believe that they really did see him. I believe it's true. And Jesus invites us to believe them as well. Number two, uh, the evidence that we can see. um, We believe, number two, Jesus invites us to believe the inspiration of the Old Testament. He invites us to look at the Old Testament and know that it's all about Jesus. Even though it was written hundreds, if not a thousand years in some places, before Jesus arrived on the scene. It's all about him. Uh, what did Jesus say in, in our text this morning, verses 44 through 47? He says, uh, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. They didn't get it, in other words, beforehand. And he told them, This is what was written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on, on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Um, I, I could go through a lot of passages in the Old Testament, but I'll give you four. Two on his death and two on his resurrection. Uh, the first passage, if you could put it up there. Isaiah 53, 5. Again, hundreds, written hundreds of years before Christ died, but it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Second passage, if you put that up there. Psalm 22.16, a psalm of David, a psalm of King David, written before crucifixion was ever invented. And yet you read this and go, it sounds like crucifixion to me. Um, I'm not sure if this is the one that has the pierced. Yes, it does. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. The people stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now David was just writing about a really bad time in his life. And so he's using poetic language and poetic imagery. And yet you read this and go, sounds an awful lot like crucifixion to me. And and, and again, before crucifixion was invented, David wrote this. So, There are verses in the Old Testament that point towards the death of Christ. There's also some verses that point towards his resurrection. If we can go to the next one. Psalm 16.10, another psalm of David. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Jesus had no time to decay 
In three days, he was back to life. God didn't abandon him to the grave. And lastly, last verse, Jonah 1.17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You read those and you go, well, they don't, they don't say the Messiah. They don't say always oh, this person. Maybe Isaiah 53 is implying the suffering servant. That's very messianic. But these other passages in the Psalms, couldn't you just read them and say David was having a bad day? Or Jonah 1, you know, Jonah is about a, a guy swallowed up by a big fish. It's not about Jesus, is it? And yet Jesus said, when the people said, give us a sign, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the fish, the Son of Man is going to be three days and three nights, and then he'll rise. Which to me even speaks more powerfully about Jesus' identity. Because if you read this, if you read the book of Jonah, you wouldn't read Jonah and go, huh, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and he was in there three days and three nights. I think the Messiah is going to die and rise in three days. You, you don't make those connections, do you? And neither did they. Which is why the scripture says Jesus had to open their minds to understand it. They didn't get it. You didn't read the Old Testament and say, I see Jesus here, 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 and here. But after the event, the vision's twenty twenty, right? We say that, right? You know, 2020 in hindsight, you know. We do that all the time. If only I would have known what was going to happen, I would have done something different. 2020 vision. It's all in hindsight. And when you read the Old Testament, looking back from Jesus' death and resurrection, you see it all over the place. And they saw it all over the place. And God says, you see how I buried it in the text? You see where I put it in Psalm 16 and Psalm 22? They didn't even know what they were really writing about, but I did. God did. Hindsight's 2020. And the disciples' minds were opened, it says, to understand it. And finally, the final uh, piece of evidence I will submit as uh, that Jesus invites us to believe in evidence of his resurrection, if you look at verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So number three, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the evidence for resurrection today? It's the resurrected lives of the church. That's it. One of the main evidences that this is real and that Jesus rose from the dead, is you and me. This is the way Paul says it in in, uh, Corinthians, if we could put that up. Um, He says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It pleased God that when you put your faith in him, even though you've never seen Jesus personally, that he would give you his spirit. His spirit would live in you. And then that would be evidence to everyone around you that this is real. That would be the proof. That would be the letter. People say, if Jesus showed himself to me, I'd believe. But what instead what Jesus says, I want to show you my people. I want to show you the church. And they better look different from the rest of the world. 
because that's the evidence I want you to see. So when people complain about the church and how we sin and we, and, and we don't get along and we have all these issues and we're so offensive and you know it breaks my heart because I know that's not Christ's goal for us. It's not His goal for my life. When I offend, I know it's not His goal for my life. My life is supposed to be a letter. And if people are offended by the letter, I can't help that. But I'm the evidence. You're the evidence. And so I encourage you to tell your story to people. Tell how you used to be. Tell the dirty, rotten scoundrel you used to act like. Shock people, right? I did this. I was involved in that. And then you say, but I'm not anymore because of Christ. He changed me. It wasn't because I suddenly grew up and matured and and came to my senses. Christ caused me to come to my senses. My marriage is saved because of him. My life is saved because of him. He's changed my thinking. He's changed everything. We've got to tell our story because we're the evidence of the resurrection. I, heard, I once I was reading Ravi Zacharias, who, who I, love, I love to read him, and he was, telling, he was talking about, uh, he said, imagine you're in a city late at night, a city like Chicago or New York, and you're walking around on the streets and it's like midnight and you're by yourself. I've actually done that and it's really stupid, but in any case... <laughs> Imagine you're walking around late at night by yourself in a city and you walk by this building and three big burly guys walk out of it. Big beards, tattoos, and and, and you're walking right towards them. You're terrified. And now imagine you see that they have Bibles in their hands and they just came from Bible study. How do you feel? Well, a lot better, you know, a lot better, a lot better. And his point, Zacharias is is a deep thinker, but his point, I I just love it, you know, is just that Christians should be different, and we are different. And you could take a scary-looking person and put a Bible in their hand and know that they've been changed forever, and they're a new creation now in Christ. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. And some of you have that story. You come up to me and tell me how you used to be. And I love hearing it. I don't like hearing that you've been scarred by sin in some ways in the past, but I love hearing that Christ has changed you. I love hearing it. We are the evidence. We are it. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you this morning, I want to close with this. Um, It pleases Christ that you have faith. For those of you that, this is for you. If you're here this morning and you've been the skeptic and you say, I'm not a skeptic anymore, I want to believe this, I want to believe the testimony of these disciples, but ultimately, I believe Christ raised from the dead, we invite you to believe that this morning. If you've got everybody, bow their heads and close their eyes now. If that's you and you're saying, I need to be forgiven of my sins, I want this new life, I want to be able to look back years from now and see all of the changes that Christ has brung to my life, I want to believe the resurrection this morning. If that's you and you want to do that for the first time, I invite you to look up at me and make eye contact and we will pray together this morning. If that's you, let's pray together. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning that wants to do that? All right. For the two of you that looked up at me, let's pray together. If anyone else wants to do this as well, you're invited to pray a prayer like this in your own heart. Jesus, I know 
that I've done many things wrong. And maybe I've been the one that demanded you meet my evidence, my criteria. But now I want to meet your demands. I want to respond in faith. I believe, I believe that your son died on a cross to pay for my sin and that three days later you raised him to life. And so I too want that new life. I want to follow you all the rest of my days. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen.